Welcome to the Hillside Podcast. We trust that you'll be impacted by listening to today's message. Okay, thank you. Stephen, your capacity to think up new ways of introducing people is absolutely amazing. But well done. Good morning, everyone. Great to see you. How are you? Are you good? Good to see your faces here. If you can turn with me to John chapter 5. That song we just sung is new. Anybody ever sung it before? No. It was written by Zane. Very own Zane. So how about that? Huh? So that's our... You didn't know that, did you, Stephen? There we are. See, some things even the Tedder family doesn't know that I know, which is quite impressive. So there we go. Well done, Zane, who's not here. He's getting a coffee, but uh, really appreciate that. So John chapter 5, verse 19. Jesus said to them, the Jews are seeking to kill Jesus because he just healed someone on the Sabbath. Verse 19 of chapter 5, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. And we've preached that verse many times. But I want to go on to verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Hillside has had a 10-year history of teaching and exploring and rejoicing and, and luxuriating in sonship and daughtership. I remember about 10 years ago preaching a message in an evening meeting about sonship and saying in the message, you know, I think I could preach a series on this. And that was 10 years ago, and it feels like we're still going strong 10 years later. And, and this rich deposit that God has given to us of exploring our sonship identity. It feels like we never quite come to the bottom of it or the end of it or the extent of it. And it has been an amazing journey to learn that we are absolutely saved as sons and daughters. We're not saved to be brought into the outside shed, to, to live in the kaya because we've been bad people and we must stay out. We're brought into the house. There is a cloak on our shoulders, ring on our finger, sandals on our feet, and the fatted calf is killed for us, and we are put right back there in the very heart of the family. And because of that, there is security for us. There is no, uh, does he love me, doesn't he love me? There is, there is a place in the house. The son remains in the house, Jesus says. The servant is there for a season, but the son remains in the house. And because we are sons, we have authority. We have the authority of the Father. The ring on the finger communicates the authority to transact in the name of the Father. 
We have authority to proclaim. We have authority to heal. We have authority to cast out demons because we are sons in the house. And above all, we have favor. The son lives in the house as one who totally expects favor. So your kid does not come to you in the morning and ask your permission, please, is it possible that today I could have some breakfast? It would be really weird if they did. They assume that because this is the place where favor comes upon them because they are sons in the house. The servant doesn't take things for granted, but the son actually very easily can take things for granted because he lives under the father's favor. Your children have a favor in your house that other children don't. If you find somebody else's child in your house doing some of the things your kid does, you would get really worried and rather upset. and say, excuse me, you know, this, who, who are you? But if you are a son, if you are a daughter in the house, there is stuff that we assume there is a favor, there is a grace that comes upon us. And this is an amazing reality that, as I say, we've spent 10 years exploring because it means, first of all, that we live out of a place of rest. If we understand this, then every day is not a struggle again to appease a father who is irritated with me. And half the church seems to live in that place. But because we are a son, because we live in his favor, today I am at peace, today I am at rest. There is no striving. There is no trying to please him to make ourselves secure. It becomes the basis of ministry. We minister because we already are sons. If we don't have a revelation of sonship, then all ministry is going to be tainted by this thing of trying to prove myself. Do you like me? I don't know if God likes me, but do you like me? And, and, and ministry becomes very weird if we don't know that we are sons and daughters of God. And it means wonderfully that we can be safely wrong. Do you have a liberty to be wrong? Anybody here got a liberty to be wrong? Because if, if, we, if we're not sons and daughters, we don't have that liberty. Your kids can be wrong in your house and they will still be your kids. Is that right? They're not in danger of being thrown out on the street because they got, some, because they got their maths wrong. You know? It's not going to happen. We can afford safely to make a mistake. So that is the incredible upside to this revelation of our sonship. And we've been there many times and we've had many preachers about it. What I'm coming to see is that in making this connection between sonship and favor, and, and that is totally biblical, that a son is one who walks in the favor of the father, there is a downside. And, and that's what I want to address today. And, and nothing of what I want to say is taking away from that connection, that absolutely a son is totally a one who ought to expect to live in favor. 
But the downside is this, that when the favour is not evident in my life, and that usually means we're talking about some specific issue, and it might be favour is over huge areas of my life, but there's this one thing that sticks out. It is my mountain to take the song, whatever song it was we sung that in this morning. And it could be a financial mountain. You know, the favour of God is amazing, but there's still this obstacle in front of me. Or it could be my business, could be my health, could be my family, it could be any stuff. But when there is this glaring, huge thing which says there's not a lot of favour in that area there, then what happens, because we've made the connection between sonship and favour, is we start to ask the question, am I really a son? And I think that's a lot of what this morning was about. Is that right? Am I really a son? So we have to teach ourselves to say, I am yours. We have to teach ourselves to go back there and say, but I, but I am yours. And somewhere behind that question of, am I really a son, am I really a daughter, is of course the voice of the devil who says, if you are the son of God, here's Jesus, really hungry, 40 days, who struggled with three days? <laughs> 40 days on, he's really, really hungry. And the devil says, well, if hypothetically speaking, you really were the Son of God. Then why don't you do something about it? Favor and sonship going hand in hand. And when favor fails to materialize in a specific area of our life, we end up feeling disqualified. Because actually it gives the lie to everything else that I'm trying to believe. So for me, out of that place of facing my mountain to speak the good news to someone else sounds a little bit hollow because it's not quite working in my life at the moment. Therefore, I can't really say anything. Therefore, I must just shut up. Are you there? And, and the danger of positive confession in our midst as we end up imagining that I'm the only person who has any struggles. Everyone else around here, especially the people on Facebook, seem to be doing so well. <laughs> you know, am I the only one who lives a real life around who faces these issues? I'm clearly, there's something wrong with me and therefore I'm probably not a son and it doesn't work for me. So increasingly our battleground is defined around this issue, the, the actualization of favor, how, how I believe in God's favor in my life, but, but the battle is somehow to call the favor down from heaven into my reality, into my finances, into my health, into my family, whatever this thing looks like. So our Sunday meetings, uh, by and large, and, and I don't want to overgeneralize here, but the theme in terms of ministry through our worship time, the theme that generally comes out is one broadly along the lines of encouraging one another to persevere. 
and to hang in there and to believe and to assert again and to hold on to these things because that's what the battle is about. And it feels like the enemy has won a victory simply by defining that as the battlefield. And he can keep us very busy week after week fighting that particular battle. Are you, are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? So it's, I know that I'm a son, but I think I'll really feel I'm a son when God's favor comes through in this area. So it leaves us, in a sense, a little bit disempowered because we're waiting for God out there to do something in order that I can really feel like a son. It leaves us very vulnerable to the winds and the waves of circumstance. So on a good day, I'm a son. On a bad day, not so sure again. It leaves us as a very feelings-driven people that where my life goes depends today how I feel about myself. And it can leave us being inwardly focused. So as long as the enemy can keep us fighting this battle, I think we will never really engage in the real battle, which is to disciple the nations. I mean, can you imagine a Sunday meeting here where the prophetic ministry and the ministry to one another is about how we're doing in discipling the nations rather than how our finances are going or how our marriage is going or how. That's kind of a paradigm shift, isn't it? Because as long as we fight this battle, we're not going to fight that battle. So I want to call us today to a new kind of maturity. And maybe this is another 10-year journey, I don't know. But I think there is a step up for Hillside. And it's good. We, we are amazing people. It has been good. And please don't hear any of this as a denial of the last 10 years and what we've taught and sonship and everything. It's been amazing. But I think there is a step forward into a new season for us. And, and basically the, the revelation, the, the statement is simply this, that my sonship or daughtership is validated, is established, and is proven not by the manifest favor of God in my life, but by my capacity to give. That's what establishes, that's what proves, that's what validates my sonship, is the fact of my giving. Chanel spoke and I'll unwrap that for us. Okay. Chanel spoke two weeks ago in the evening on generosity. And, and as she was speaking, this, that sentence that I have just spoken out just dropped into my heart. And I thought, this is it. This is, this is what we need to grab a hold of to take us into the place that lies ahead. It was a brilliant message on generosity. And I really, if you weren't here, please download it and listen to it. It's very... Very, very powerful. Chanel has lived through the reality of giving in a place where she had nothing. And her testimony is powerful. So please do listen to her. Chanel here. Am I embarrassing? Yes, she is at the back. It really was an amazing message. A lot of our giving takes place under obligation. 
So we give under, and we want to anyway, but we give under social obligation. It's Clive's birthday, or it was Clive's birthday. Right? Hey, we must get him a present, because when it was my birthday, I think he gave me a present, I'm not really sure, but we, we, we ought to anyway, and, and we give. And, and it's part of the social fabric of life that we give according to expectations in that kind of way. Sometimes a little bit above and beyond, but, but basically it keeps the wheels of our friendships oiled, is the fact that we give to one another in that kind of way. Dinner invites. Well, they had us to dinner, so they've had us to dinner three times, so it really is time for us to invite them, and, and that's the kind of giving that a lot of, lot of that takes place. There is giving under moral obligation. When we, this is, this is the good Samaritan on the road kind of giving. When we are confronted with someone with, whose need screams out to us, there is an obligation to give. We don't always respond to that obligation, but there is, there is something moral which pulls on us. When the beggar is at the gate, maybe he's sizing up your house to break into it, or maybe he genuinely is really, really hungry. And what do I, and, and there is not a person sitting here who doesn't feel, oh, here we go again, what do I do to this, for this person? So we end up giving and we find some food or some money or some clothes or whatever it is and we give because there is a moral obligation that draws us into that. There's giving out of role. As a pastor, I often sit with people typically for an hour or so and they pour out their heart and their confusion and their pain and their whatever and I listen and I say one or two things and maybe I pray for them and sometimes, not always, but sometimes at the end of that time, the person is inordinately grateful. So, oh, that was, that, you, I can't tell you how much that meant to me and thank you so much. And I'm kind of, I mean, I appreciate the gratitude, but actually it's my job. You know, this, this is what I do. You know, so, I mean, thank you for thanking me, but, but if I didn't make myself available to you in this way, I'd be a pretty bad pastor. You know, that's, that's what I'm paid to do. So I've done what I've done, you know. It's giving out of my role. If you're a mother or a father, you give to your children out of your role because that's what parents do. It's just the way things are. We give out of being members. We give a tithe because that's what membership means. We, we give time to come to meetings because that's what it means to belong. But what I'm on about today is more than giving out of obligation. That's, that's not it. Can you imagine a tombstone and engraved on the tombstone it says, he met his obligations. Is, is that a great testimony to your life? You know, Cade met his obligations. Boom. You know? He gave all the birthday presents he was supposed to. He tithed faithfully. He came to all the meetings he should have done. He was generally attentive to beggars. And so well done, Cade. You know? There we go. He met his obligations. The son 
gives not because of obligation. And this is what I want to try and say to us today. It's a different kind of giving. It says here in John 5, it says that the Son, um, as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. It doesn't say the Son gives life to his friends. It doesn't say the Son gives life to needy people. It doesn't say the Son gives life to his family. It doesn't say the Son gives life to his followers. But the Son gives life to whom he will, as he chooses. Because he wants to, he gives life. He causes people to live. He makes them alive. He gives them spiritual power to arouse and invigorate, to restore to life, to give increase of life, quickening of the spirit. And he is endued with great powers of life. This is what the son does. This is what it looks like to be a son. This is the nature of the son. He gives as he pleases. And so John 7, 38, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. The Son gives. That is the evidence, that is the proof, that is the validation of his sonship. So we give because we are sons. That's what it looks like. It's not... We live in manifest favor because we are sons, but we give because we are sons. And it changes everything. We live to give. That's my new slogan that I say to myself a hundred times a day. When our sonship is questioned, what do we do? Do we go and ask someone to pray for us, have another connection, center session, um, sing a song, where we find somebody to give something to. Because that reasserts our sonship. Jill is much better at this than I am. Jill is really good at this. I'm learning, but I'm on a journey, and I'm getting there bit by bit. We came home, not this week, just gone the week before that, we were down in Transkai for a few days. We came home on the Saturday... Um, and our neighbor had put out his rubbish, I presume on the Monday, because rubbish is normally collected on the Monday, but he put, he put out a, an orange recycling bag. And, and if you know the politics of this area, they're not collecting orange bags anymore. So this orange bag had sat there all week. Um, and not only that, he had put normal food waste into the orange recycling bag. So the monkeys had got into it and strewn all over the place were milk cartons and stuff and it was just there. And not only that, but my neighbor for some reason feels the need to leave his rubbish not outside his gate, but outside my gate. <laughs> so everybody in the street now assumes probably that this is my rubbish. And, and whatever. So we come home on the Saturday, and here is, and I'm, I'm painting it, it's not as bad as that actually, but I'm exaggerating a bit, anyway. This is a good story, yeah. 
So we come home last Saturday, a week ago, and I see this, and I have been well-trained by Danny Silk. And I've learned from Danny Silk that people need to clean up their own mess. Have you, have you heard that one? You know? So I decided to give my neighbor an opportunity to grow in being a powerful person by being able to clean up his own mess. So I did nothing. And nothing happened. You know? But I guess it had been there for a week already, so it probably wasn't going to happen in any case. So that was a Saturday, get up on the Sunday, it's still there, rubbish all over the place. So Sunday lunchtime, God says to me, live to give. This is not your problem, but you can still give to your neighbor. So I get out a black plastic bag and I gather up all this rubbish from all over the place, I put it in the black bag and I put it there on the side of the verge. And he probably never knew at all, but that wasn't the point. The point was, it was an action which says, hey, I'm a son, and I can do this because I'm a son. I don't have to do it, but I can do it because I'm a son, and I choose to do it. I give life to whom I will. Then we went out to lunch because it really was Clive's birthday. And if you didn't get invited, I'm really sorry. It was a select group, but hey, there we go. I'm on a roll here, Clive. <laughs> Came home from lunch and the monkeys had been again and it was strewn all over the whatever, all over again. And on the Monday, the bin men came and they took it all away, so it is gone. But, but what is my point? My point is simply that we have a thousand opportunities a day to assert our sonship by giving. Every single one of us rather than struggling to the end of the week and will someone encourage? We need encouragement, I totally understand that. But actually, I can do this for me. I can assert my sonship on a daily basis. The, you know when Mary comes to Jesus and she says, they have no more wine. And do you remember Jesus' response? It's a very strange response. He says, what has that got to do with me, woman? <laughs> I think if I ever talk to my mother like that, I get into big trouble. <laughs> he says, what has that got to do with me, woman? And she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. Yeah. And, but he goes and does it anyway. And I've often wondered, what's, what is that about? What's, what's the heart of that? And what I hear Jesus saying is, actually, I am under no obligation to do anything. This isn't my problem. But I'm going to give. And I will do it. And Mary knew he was going to do it. But he wanted us to know that he didn't have to. But because he was a son, he was going to. This is the power that he had. So we can give. We give worship. That's, that's the most amazing thing about a Sunday morning, is actually we are here first and foremost to give. And as we give, maybe we'll receive too. But, but, but the problem comes 
when we're here to receive. And Chanel has to tell us we've got, we're supposed to be singing. You know? Really good try, Chanel. That was amazing. What's wrong with you? She's very polite. What she meant was, what the heck is wrong with you lot? Why aren't you singing? I can't hear a thing. But she said it really graciously and nicely. But the point is that we are here to give. And the fruit of our lips is praise and worship to him. And as we arrive here with a decision that today, regardless of my mountain, regardless of my feelings, regardless of whatever questions the devil might be throwing at me, I'm going to give because that's how I assert my sonship. But I'm still a son, therefore I can still give. So we give in worship. We give money to people, and it's about a whole lot more than money today. But money is a part of this. That actually the taking of our hard-earned wealth and the letting go of it to other people is part of asserting my divine inheritance. That I'm not bound by what's in my pocket. I'm not married to that. I belong to him. And he belongs to me. We can give dignity to people. Sometimes we can take the dignity that is ours and allow other people to use it. That's good. We can give acts of service to people. Cleaning up my neighbor's rubbish, it's an act of service. We can do something for someone, maybe that they don't even know about. But we can give them a gift of service. We can give time to people. Precious commodity we have so little of, so desperate for more of. I've got so little time, but I'll give you three hours. It's my gift to you. We can give people attention. 100% unfocused, unshared with a thousand other multitasking social media operations. I give you my undivided attention. I'll give this. We can give people prophetic words. It's one thing to learn how to prophesy. There's probably not many people here who have not been to some course, lecture, teaching session on how to prophesy. Anyone never, ever been in a class on how to prophesy? Okay, there's one person up there. We'll, we'll arrange two people. We'll arrange a class, three people. We'll arrange a class for you three. All right. But for the rest of us, we've been there. We, we know we've done the training. But the problem isn't that we don't know how. The problem is we're not positioned with the heart of generosity that I want to give this to you because it takes an effort to get a prophetic word to give to someone else. Is that right? I'm going to give to you. I can, I can do this, but I don't. But I'm going to because I'm a son. I want to give to you. We can give people encouragement. We do that more easily, but that's amazing. We can give people our possessions. Here, hey, 
Stephen, here's my car. Yeah? Have my car. I've got, I've got two houses. You can have one. You know? that's, that's really exciting stuff, isn't it? You've woken up now. Yeah. It's actually Jules' car, so I can't. You know? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Roger. <laughs> and we can give away people who are dear to us. And that sounds a strange thing to say, but I want to come back to that and explain that a little bit later on. Culture of generosity. I dream of Hillside having such a culture of generosity that Sunday meetings are a buzz with people crazily giving things to other people, left, right, and center. And it might be financial, but maybe it is prophetic words, words of knowledge, prayer for healing. There's just people giving each other stuff all over the place. Wouldn't that be amazing? Not out of social obligation, not because so-and-so will be offended if I don't say hello to them, but because I'm a son and I want to give this to you. And out of this crazy culture of generosity in this space, that that overflows really naturally out into the world out there. That's in the way we have learned to give to one another. We continue to give to the world out there. Because we're sons and we want to give. That's my dream. So I want to wake up every day and say, who can I give to today? How many people can I give to today? Who can I find to give something to today? And this really, really is the foundation for an apostolic identity. I've, the thing I've realized about Bethel is, is the thing they're famous for is having this culture of the supernatural which is absolutely essential to, the, to an apostolic ministry, that they, they believe in heaven coming to earth. They believe in releasing healing, prophetic signs, wonders. That, that is absolutely amazing, and we embrace that, and we love them for it. But what Bethel speak less about, but which is as much a reality, is a culture of generosity in that place. It really, really is a church that knows how to give. It's also a church that's not afraid to charge people for things, as we've learnt, and big amounts of money too. But that's not because they have a poverty mindset. It's because actually they have an apostolic mindset and they're very, very ready to give abundantly. I remember when Chris Fallison came out here uh, we paid his airfare, and we paid Danny Silk's airfare at the same time, and that kind of stretched us as two airfares from San Francisco. What we found out afterwards was that Chris Fallison upgraded himself at his own expense and came business class. So we paid the economy portion of the airfare. He paid the business portion of the airfare so that he could come here and be with us. There's a profound culture of generosity in that place that is really, really not afraid to give. Culture sustains our mission. 
We can go on trips, and that's really good, can be really great experience. We can run feeding programs, we can plant churches, we can do all the stuff. But if we don't have a culture of the supernatural, we will die because the, the effort of that will kill us. But if we don't have a culture of generosity, it will ultimately become all about us. If it's not about giving away, then it becomes about building us. And that's why this giving generosity is part of an apostolic foundation. Acts 13 set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Here is an act of generosity, incredible generosity on the part of the church in Antioch. Of their six or so named amazing leaders they have in the place, take two, take these two amazing people. It's all right, we've got a coffee crisis here. <laughs> Take these two amazing people and let go of them. Release them. Set them apart. And not many days after that, off they go. And they go off on their journeys. And they come back to Antioch, but they're never really part of the church again. That's what I mean by letting go of people who are dear to us. Hillside has a history of doing that. We, we have recycled so many eldership teams in this church, it is not true. And in the early days, specifically letting go of good and dear friends because of an apostolic call elsewhere. So even Terry and Linda, who planted this church, they were really good friends of ours for many years. And we had to let go of them, and they are in California, and we see them occasionally, but the relationship is never quite the same again because we've had to let go of them and our lives have gone that way a bit and our lives have gone that way a bit. And we love them and we honor them, but we had to give them away. Alan and Ronell, also in California. What is it about California? I don't know. Good friends, close friends, enjoyed their company. And again, their life has gone that way a bit and ours has gone that way. Um, we still love them and we still chat occasionally, but it's not the same. Mark and Kerry Mack let go of them to go up to Matuba Tuba. It's very different from California. And, and again, close relationship and it's drifted away a little bit. Graham and Kay, part of us here, we gave them up once to go down to Queensborough. And we've given them up again now to go up to, to London and give people away twice. You know, can't get rid of them, but we, whatever. But, but that's part of being a generous church, is the willingness to take our best and release. And that's kind of hard. And please, I'm not about to announce anything. All right. Really, 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 really. This is not a prelude to anything. But it is a prelude to saying God has an apostolic identity for us to embrace, which requires a generosity of spirit. So when Rog goes away to do pass through the fire, it's not, hmm, where's Rog this weekend? Hmm. Hmm. 
It's actually, no, this is our privilege. This is our sonship as a church to be able to send Roger away for the weekend, to give him away, and for others to rise up to fill the gap that he leaves. We're, we're off in March. We've got two consecutive Sundays out. We're going to be in Harris Smith one weekend. We're going to be in Cape Town the next weekend. And, and please not, oomph, where were you? Yeah. Where have you been? Actually, no, we celebrate together that we can release people to go and do what God has commissioned them to do. And, and it's part of us. It's all of us together. It's part of having a heart of apostolic generosity. And, and I do believe this, that this is a season where that is going to be multiplied for more and more of us to be sent out, not under the radar, not surreptitiously, but owned by the whole church to say, actually, this is, this is what God is, will you release me to do this thing? This is what God is calling me to do. Because I think it's part of the road that God has in front of us. So are you a son? Are you going to live to give? Otherwise it'll be R.I.P. He met his obligations. I want so much more than that. I want to be remembered for so much more than that. So can we stand together? Jesus said, freely you have received, therefore freely give. And Father, today we stand objectively in a place of incredible favor and incredible blessing from heaven, regardless of mountains and issues and whatever else, you have given to us beyond imagination. And Lord, today, as your sons and your daughters, out of this incredibly rich endowment that you have given to us, out of the deposit of the Holy Spirit who flows from our innermost being in rivers of living water. Lord, today we want to be a people who are eager and rushing to find opportunity to give. I pray that even now you would open our eyes. You'd help us to see who can I give to right now. Who can I be something for? Who can I bless? Who can I open my heart to? Who can I assert my sonship all over? So Father, would you, would you help us? I pray that you would massage this into our hearts. I pray that you would call us up into a whole new level of an apostolic identity in this place where we're not afraid to give, where we rejoice in giving without fear because you are the good, good Father. So, Father, would you bless us, would you keep us, would you make your face shine upon us so that we can be sons of the Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear your story if you've been encouraged by this episode. 
You can connect with us on Facebook or leave a review on our podcast.